The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Okay, folks. Um, I'm glad we're back here for our evening events. Now I want to introduce Sue Lichtenfels, who is uh, going to be talking about the Now What booklet. We all know who Sue is, any of us who are part of PCB. She's been an active and constant contributor to this organization for the past more than 15 years. Sue has been our president. She has been a board member. She's our past president. She's been um, an editor of the, um, of the um, advocate, and she deals with all of the aspects and ramifications of vision loss, both on the blind side and also educating sighted people. So with that to be said, I want to introduce Sue. Thank you, Chris. Um, my presentation, I have pre-recorded it because I wasn't sure if my voice would hold up. So Doug, if you could play that, I would appreciate it. Thank you all very much. Now what? This is the question most of us ask after receiving life-changing news. And that certainly includes a vision loss diagnosis. Whether it's an aging mother losing vision because of cataracts or macular degeneration, a spouse injured and blinded on the job, a friend who's lost most of her vision because of diabetic retinopathy, or any loved one diagnosed with a worsening eye condition. Now, what do we do is the primary concern of the sighted family member or friend. And that is why we've named our newest resource, Now What? Assisting a Loved One Through Vision Loss. As persons who have experienced a vision loss diagnosis, we understand the fears and frustrations newly diagnosed families face. Often those feelings begin right there in the doctor's office. For a while, there's the focus on fixing the eye problem through eye drops, treatments, surgeries, or glasses. If these efforts don't work, the doctor can often be very abrupt in letting a family know that there's nothing more that can be done to save or retain the vision. Rarely do they ever offer any resources to adapt to life with vision loss. Doctors can leave families feeling like the patient is broken and that there's no hope for a normal life. And so again, the families and friends ask, now what? Fears spiral alongside their misperceptions about people who are blind or visually impaired and their abilities. Family members begin asking desperate questions like, is my spouse's life as a worker and productive citizen over? 
Will they no longer be able to clothe, feed, and bathe themselves? Should I put my loved one in a nursing home or an assisted living facility? Do I have to hire an aide to sit with them when I go out? The short answer to all of those questions is no. Perhaps even hell no. It makes sense that families have questions and concerns about their loved ones' future abilities. But the reality is that millions of people who are blind or have vision loss live happy, independent lives. We raise children, own businesses, invent products, shop for groceries, volunteer in our churches, and enjoy physical activity. In Now What? Assisting a Loved One Through Vision Loss, we explain the many strategies and solutions that we've implemented in order to overcome the challenges of living without full sight. Many of us have been fortunate to attend formal rehabilitation where we learned how to travel with a white cane, cook safely, and use assistive technology. But acquiring these services can be very frustrating. While vision loss is diagnosed by ophthalmologic doctors, vision rehabilitation therapy is not covered by medical insurance. Frustratingly, therapy is covered and readily available for broken legs, torn rotator cuffs, and other less severe health challenges. But vision loss? That is, losing one of your five major senses? It's not covered. Rather, rehabilitation therapy is provided through a government agency. In Pennsylvania, that is the Bureau of Blindness and Visual Services. Like any other government entity, BVS services are limited by funding and staff availability. And so the wait time can be months before meaningful rehabilitation begins. These frequent delays are another reason why the Now What Guide has been developed. The guide provides actionable knowledge and immediate resources to jumpstart the family's adjustment to vision loss process while awaiting formal rehabilitation. While the peers of PCB are not and do not claim to be rehabilitation professionals, we have found and tested many adaptive strategies, assistive tools, and community resources during our lives that we believe would benefit persons new to vision loss and their families. In writing this guide, we were very intentional about its tone. It expresses a positive outlook for the future, despite vision loss. 
we encourage the sighted family or friend to suggest, demonstrate, and discuss potential adaptations with their loved one before implementation. Repeatedly, the reader is reminded that the goal is independence for the loved one and not ongoing reliance on others. Our intention is for the sighted family to enable and empower their loved one to do for themselves. At this point, we'll share three sections of the guide which give a sense of its tone and purpose. Introduction When a loved one has been diagnosed with a permanent vision loss or a chronic disease that will result in decreasing vision, coping with the news can be difficult. As peers who have faced and overcome the challenges of vision loss, we assure you that losing sight does not mean your loved one has to lose independence or productivity. The purpose of this document is to share with you a myriad of strategies and adaptations you might try to make environments and experiences more accessible for your loved one. Also included is information about a variety of devices, both low-tech and high-tech that may assist with many tasks. The ideas we present here have been gathered through first-hand experiences of individuals whose vision levels range from those with much remaining usable vision to those who are totally blind. While these suggestions can be tried and implemented immediately, they should not take the place of formal rehabilitation services. Only when your loved one receives professional assessment and training can you be assured that they possess the appropriate strategies and long-term solutions customized to best overcome the vision loss. As you journey through this process, focus on empowering and enabling your loved one to do as much as they can independently. Remember that PCB peers stand ready to provide you and your loved one with additional guidance and resources, as necessary. Simply call 877-617-7407 or email pcboffice at pcb1.org. We would be happy to connect you or your loved one with a peer who has experienced vision loss directly or through a loved one. Attitude matters. Keep in mind that regardless of visual ability, the person with vision loss is the same individual you have always known and loved. Do not lower your expectations for their independence and future. Instead, empower your loved one by sharing these tips. Encourage the individual as they learn new skills. Respect these new strategies for accomplishing the same life tasks, just differently. While it is appropriate to offer help, do not insist on doing tasks for them to save time and frustration. This behavior only results in a dependent loved one with low or no self-confidence. Be patient and allow your loved one the opportunity to explore the usefulness of each of their remaining senses and experiment to find the alternative methods that will work best. As much as possible, offer a positive attitude and enthusiastic energy that motivates your loved one to become self-reliant once again. Empowering Independence Allow the person with vision loss to make choices on food, clothing, and all activities of daily life. For example, you can help by offering to read a menu, but they can, and should, speak to the wait staff directly about meal selections. You can assist with organizing a closet by placing a complete outfit together on one hanger, but your loved one can certainly select which one to wear. 
Your assistance in making tactile markings, setting up organizational strategies, gathering adaptive devices, and suggesting alternate methods will be vital to create an environment where your loved one can function and succeed. You will be the facilitator that enables your loved one to regain independence. When you help to implement ways to transform the visual information into accessible formats that your loved one can use, your loved one can be as informed, functional, and productive as always. While the guide targets sighted family and friends as the primary audience, the individuals with vision loss and anyone who works closely with persons who experience vision loss would benefit from its contents. The topics we address in this resource are coping with vision loss, including grieving the loss, and everyone needs to adjust. Providing appropriate support, including attitude matters, understanding vision loss, communicate your presence and absence, empowering independence, and make the most of sensory cues. Moving safely, which includes inside the home, a protective technique can assist. Think slow, small, and soft. Venturing beyond the home, being a human guide, white canes and guide dogs, and transportation. Maximizing remaining vision, including lighting considerations, add contrast, and magnification considerations. Assistive technology and devices, including standalone devices, mobile technology, computer technology, and emerging technology. Accomplishing daily living tasks, including reading and writing, managing money, Accessing home appliances. Managing around the kitchen. And enjoying food and drink. Personal care, including grooming, clothing and laundry, and medications. Enjoying leisure time, including audio-described programming, crafts and hobbies, games, and physical activity. Finding resources, including support services, specialty catalogs, and peer support. Now what is not meant to be an exhaustive list of resources, but a springboard for addressing the vision loss process. It's a guide toward a new path to independence. Now what? Assisting a loved one through vision loss is available 
on our website at pcb1.org slash now what. A word version can also be requested from our office by calling 877-617-7407 or by emailing pcboffice at pcb1.org. An audio version will soon be available so the person with vision loss can hear these strategies and solutions firsthand and take an active role in their adjustment. Now our work begins to get this guide into the hands of the families who need it. Peers, this booklet is our opportunity to pay it forward. If we've been fortunate enough to get formal rehabilitation training, if we have benefited from blindness tools, community resources, accessible information, and people who are role models, then we owe it to others experiencing vision loss to share this guide far and wide. In the next two weeks, the PCB office will be e-blasting an electronic flyer advertising Now What? This can be downloaded for hard copy printing, attached to emails, or posted to social media. We will also be distributing business cards with a list of the Now What? contents and the website. Individuals and chapters should feel inspired to request a stack of cards for local distribution. The cards would be great to carry in your wallet for those encounters on a street when a person tells you, my uncle or my grandma is losing vision. Chapters, please include now what on your next monthly meeting agenda. Discuss within the chapter how and where you can share the news about this amazing resource. Can you get the business cards into eye doctor's offices? Can you forward the electronic flyers to hospital social workers, blindness agency staff, or organizations on aging? Can your chapter distribute the information as part of resource fairs or presentations to community groups? Peers, do you have personal contacts in any of these areas where you can publicize the booklet? Post it to your Facebook page and groups. Hang printed flyers on real-life bulletin boards at churches the grocery store, in your apartment building, or at your local municipal building? Do you know of mainstream newsletters, podcasts, or resource sites with whom we could collaborate to highlight Now What? If so, please let us know in the PCB office. 
Remember, our primary target is the sighted community of people who have loved ones experiencing vision loss. So the more places the promotions can be seen, the better. Now what? Now, let's get started sharing this amazing resource. In a world where ophthalmologists wipe their hands of patients whose vision they are no longer able to fix, and where immediate access to vision rehabilitation services, such as instruction on accomplishing daily living tasks and traveling safely using a white cane, is merely a pipe dream. A new ray of hope shines through the clouds of despair and uncertainty, thanks to the peers of the Pennsylvania Council of the Blind. Now what? Assisting your loved one through vision loss is a booklet of tips, strategies, and resources, which can immediately be implemented when a diagnosis of vision loss occurs. Visit pcb1.org slash now what or call 877-617-7407 to learn more about this life-changing resource. Enlighten yourself and empower your loved one with vision loss today. want to share that uh, Sue's been working on that document for a few years and, and she's been the driving force and uh, we all took a whack at it but she was uh, the mastermind behind that so uh, congratulations Sue that's a great accomplishment. Uh, we've, we've got to give credit credit to the the vision loss resource team who okay. um, way back when I had this idea um, you know they took it and and you know, started shaping it and we just kept adding to it and building on it. And um, it, it is what it is today um, because of many, many people who provided input um, into what we should cover and what we, you know, the, the kinds of tips that we should be including. So we should all be proud of ourselves. All right, a team effort. Quickly, can I say as a personal testimony, Chris and I showed this document to a friend of ours her husband is losing his vision, and um, I must say they were very much impressed, and it got them started in the right direction. So thank you so much. Will Bergon has written extensively on the uh, blindness issue, and he and the communications team have put together this rather unusual program that helps us all think about relationships and uh, vision loss and how it affects the relationships and the relationships affect it. Um, And the whole communications team is all part of this group. Are you ready, Mr. Greenlawn? I am. Welcome, everybody. Um, This segment is uh, called the Not-So-Newly-Blind Game, exploring the mixed vision dynamic and the quest for self-reliance. And I just want to recognize and thank the, the communications team, Doug Hussiger, <clears throat> sorry, Ed Facemeyer, Rose Martin, 
Sue Lichtenfels, and of course, our president, Chris. And specifically for the, what you're about to hear, I want to thank Sue and Mary Ann Grignon for voicing the female characters of this skit. And I want to thank Doug for his technological wizardry in putting it all together. Our, the basic thrust of this presentation is that self-reliance does not take place in a vacuum. We are surrounded by family, friends, colleagues, etc. This game presents four duos. They happen to be a husband and wife, father and daughter, boyfriend and girlfriend, and two friends. In each couple, one has sight and one has sight loss, what we call mixed vision couples. But mixed vision couples aren't limited to just these four. It could be a teacher-student, a counselor and a client, a doctor-patient. And moreover, given the inherent hierarchies that tend to exist in the vision loss community, it could even exist between um, a person with partial uh, vision loss and one with total vision loss. It can qualify as a mixed vision duo. This game is based on the newlywed game. I don't know if anybody remembers that from the uh, 70s there. And we hope to cover some significant issues with maybe a modicum of humor. We invite you to listen and pay attention to what's going on in each relationship and how the dynamics of this relationship are affecting the person with vision loss quest for self-reliance. Without further ado, Doug. Elliot and Sabrina. Married for 10 years, they met at an axe-throwing competition where Elliot came in fourth and Sabrina took home the gold. Since then, Sabrina has lost her remaining vision to RP and dedicates her time to her flower gardens. But somewhere in her garden shed, there hangs a golden axe. <laughs> Next... Meet Fred and his daughter, Ronnie. Fred's macular degeneration got so bad that one day he followed his neighbor's car down the road and up his driveway and into his garage, where, unfortunately, his neighbor had just parked his car. Ronnie took Fred's keys away, and Fred says he's now enjoying retirement, and I quote, screaming at cable TV. <laughs> Meet Angel and Buddy. Buddy, legally blind from RP for the last 15 years, met Angel at her yoga studio, where Angel said he was the least flexible student she had ever had, but she knew there was a good-looking guy under that scruffy hair and baggy clothes. Now Buddy likes to joke that he's a victim of Angel's three-star makeover. <laughs> And last but not least, meet Martin and Joan. Martin, legally blind since birth, met Joan when he took a wrong turn in the church and fell into the baptismal font. Since then, Joan has been Martin's eyes, 
unless you count the ten months they weren't talking because Joan refused to tell Martin what really happened in the movie Fifty Shades of Grey. <laughs> it's the not-so-newly-blind game where mixed-vision duos find out how much or how little they know about each other. And now... Here's your host, the star of the not-so-newly-blind game, Bob Viewblanks! Thank you, Johnny. Now, with our sighted companions safely offstage, it's time for our five-point questions. You know you'll be answering these questions... The way you think your sighted companions will answer them when they come back on stage. Now, if their answers match your predictions, you'll earn five points towards a grand prize that's designed especially for you. Here is our first five-point question. When you are in a social situation, which movie title best describes your interaction? Grumpy old men or woman? The Invisible Man or Woman, The Big Parade, or Animal House. Sabrina? Well, since it doesn't even like when I use my white cane, I guess I'd have to say The Invisible Woman. Hmm, so how do you get around? I hold his arm, he plops me down, and then I have to sit there until he comes back and gets me. Aww. Okay. Fred, what movie would best describe your interaction with Ronnie in social situations? Well, Bob, I'm a basically a grouchy old bat. <laughs> Whoa, Fred, this is a family show. Well, Bob, it's not rocket science. I'm uh, grumpy and I'm old. So, uh, do the math. It's grumpy old men, right? And while we're figuring out that equation, Buddy, which movie best describes your interaction with Angel in social situations? Ah, this is an easy one. The Big Parade. And why so easy? Because it's always a big production with Angel, and the more people are around, the bigger the production it is. <laughs> well, on that note, Martin, which movie? Well, Bob, hmm, Ashman's tough. I don't know. I'm not that grumpy, and I'm not invisible. Your answer? Okay, okay. I'll say Animal House. Okay, it's time for our second five-point question. For five points, how will your sight companion answer this question? What is your best adaptive skill? Fred, let's start with you. Hmm, my best adaptive skill? Uh, hey, does that not showing up at the next political rally with my AR-15 count? I think we're looking for something a tad less homicidal. Okay, well, I guess it's uh, not making faces when I'm overhearing the idiotic conversations of people around me at restaurants. Okay, then. Buddy? Hmm, my best adaptive skill? I guess it'll have to be... Using my iPhone apps to help Angel get us to where we want to go. So, are you saying that Angel needs a little help? <laughs> Let's just say she's 
directionally challenged. Yes, let's just say. Martin, what do you think Joan will say is your best adaptive skill? I don't know, Bob. I don't know if I have one. I mean, I have just enough vision to think I have just enough vision. And how's that working for you? Uh, most of the time, okay. But there are times. Answer, please. Well, I guess Joan will say my spatial orientation. Sabrina, what will Elliot say is your best adaptive skill? Well, I have one, but I'm sure he'll never say it. Uh-oh, do we have a secret? Ooh. Yes, Bob, we do. Unbeknownst to Elliot, I've started up axe-throwing again. <laughs> oh, my. That must make dinner conversation a little choppy. Oh. What? What? No, Bob. I go out behind our garage. I go into the wood and I throw the axe until I'm calm enough to go back into the house. Well, I'm sure we all feel much better for Elliot. <laughs> Besides not tossing axes in the house, what will Elliot say is your best adaptive skill? Well, he'll probably say, I don't have any skills. But I guess if he were pushed, he'd probably say, my gardening. And now for our, the last of our five-point questions. Would your partner describe your role in your next road trip? Co-pilot, luggage, or something in between? Sabrina? How would Elliot answer that question? Correct. He'll probably say something like, in between. But really, he treats me like luggage. Your answer, please. Something in between. Fred? Bob, you are looking at six feet of luggage. <laughs> and grumpy old luggage at that. Buddy? That's easy. Co-pilot all the way. I not only ride shotgun, but I check out reservations, make sure we're going where we're going, and all she has to do is drive. I'm the co-pilot. You go, buddy. Martin? Well, I guess it would be something in between, but I'm not quite sure what that would be. Okay, after the break, we'll return with your sighted companions and see how well their answers match the answers you have given. <laughs> Elliot, Ronnie, Angel, and Joan are back from our soundproof booth. And now it's time to find out how their answers match the answers given earlier. Elliot, when you're in a social situation, which movie title best describes your interaction with Sabrina? The Big Parade? Animal House? The Invisible Man or Woman? Or grumpy old man and woman. Considering she likes to disappear in social situations, I'll have to say the invisible woman. Sabrina, how did you answer? Yes, Elliot. I'm your invisible woman. Five points for Elliot and Sabrina. Ronnie, how did your father answer this question? Hmm... Well, he's certainly 
old and grumpy, but I'll have to say the big parade because it's always such a big deal toting him around in social situations. No, no, no! I'm grumpy and I'm old. The grumpy old man. Thank you, Fred. Angel. Oh, this is so hard. Buddy certainly doesn't disappear, and well, he's not old and grumpy. Hmm. We need an answer. Oh, I'll have to say Animal House. Animal House? Really? I thought I was basically domesticated. Ah,、uh, the big. You know how you like to make a big production. Oh, you're such a jerk. Okay, folks. Joan, how did Martin answer this question? Since Martin can be like a bull in the china shop, I'd have to say it's got to be Animal House. Yes, five points. Yes,、right. five points. Now to our second five-point question for five points. What did your partner say you would say is their best adaptive skill? Let's start with Ronnie. Adaptive skills? Hmm. Well, he's pretty resistant to anything adaptive. We need an answer. Oh, I don't know. Maybe not throwing the remote control against the wall. Is that your answer? Sure, that's my answer. I'm sorry. He said not making faces at people in a restaurant. Oh, Dad. Okay. While Fred practices not making faces, Angel. Hmm. Buddy has tried a lot of things. His best. Well, I'll have to say, it's using his phone app. Yes. Five points. Joan. How did Martin answer this question? He used to know Braille. Hmm. Can I say not knocking food off his plate onto the floor?、Mm, not knocking food onto the floor, Joan. You make me sound like like a some brain damaged chimp. Okay. So what did you say? My spatial orientation. Really. This from someone who can't be left alone for five godforsaken minutes without falling into a bush or stepping on people's dogs. All righty then, let's move on. Elliot, how did Sabrina answer this question? Well, she probably says she doesn't have any adaptive skills. Answer, please. Oh, I don't know. Her gardening, I guess. Yes. And now for the last of our five-point questions, would you describe your partner's role in your next road trip? Co-pilot, luggage, or something in between? Angel. Oh, this is easy. He definitely is my co-pilot. Five points, Joan. Well, Martin. He would try to be the co-pilot, but then he would get real sulky and act like luggage. So I guess I'd have to say something 
in between. Well, not exactly how I would put it, but hey, five points. Indeed. Mmm. Elliot? Well, Bob, she makes me do everything, so I'll have to say luggage. I thought you'd be more diplomatic for a national audience. Me? Diplomatic? (laughs) (laughs) Moving on, Ronnie? All he needs are the stickers. He's definitely luggage. Five points. So, after one round, checking our big scoreboard, Elliot and Sabrina, Angel and Buddy, Joan and Martin, ten points each, with Fred and Ronnie bringing up the rear with five points. After this break, we'll be back with Sabrina, Buddy, Martin and Fred in our soundproof booth. And we're back. Sabrina, Fred, Buddy, and Martin are safely tucked away in our soundproof booth. And we're ready for round two. I will ask you two ten-point questions. And we'll finish up with a big 25-point question. Are we ready for 10 points? Elliot, if you could change one thing about your attitude towards Sabrina's vision loss, what would it be? Well, Bob, this might sound harsh, but I'd have to say that I'd have to be less patient with her. I mean, we all need a kick in the ass. Okay, Elliot, thank you. Ronnie? Well, since he seems to be holding a non-stop pity party for himself, I think he'll say I should be more understanding. Angel? I don't know. I only try to do what's best for Buddy, even when he doesn't know what that is. Answer, please. Oh, okay. I guess I'll say I could be less controlling. Okay, Joan? Martin is very, very resistant to change. So, I guess he'll say I should be less pushy for him to try new things. Okay, contestants, now to the second and last of our ten-point questions. What one thing causes the most friction between you and your vision loss partner? Angel? Bob, I hate to admit this, but no matter how much I know he needs me to do it, I really hate to drive. Joan? Well, that's a no-brainer, driving. Elliot? Driving. I'm seeing a trend here. Ronnie? It's unanimous. Driving. Okay, contestants, it's time for your big 25-point question. If living alone without you were an Olympic event, what medal would your vision loss partner give themselves? Gold, silver, or bronze? Angel? Hmm. Well, he can be pretty confident sometimes, but... Then there are times when he gets too big for himself. Answer? All right, I'll say silver. 
Joan? I think it's bronze, but he'll think it's gold. So I guess I'll say silver, too. Elliot? Bronze, I suppose. Ronnie? Well, besides for doing the driving thing, the laundry, paying the bills, cleaning the house, and grocery shopping, I'm sure he'll say gold. Okay, folks. After the break, we'll bring back your vision loss partners from their soundproof booth, and we'll see how well their answers match yours. Welcome back, Sabrina, Fred, Buddy, and Martin. Here is our first ten-point question. Martin, how did Joan answer this question? If you could change one thing about your attitude towards Martin's vision loss, what would it be? Well, Bob, I think it'll have to be she should be less pushy. Yes! Okay. Sabrina. If you could change one thing about Elliot's attitude towards your vision loss, what would it be? Well, it would be nice if he actually acknowledged my vision loss. Is that your answer? Yes, it is. I'm sorry. He said he should be less patient with you. Less patient? Really? <laughs> honey? Don't you... Honey, me. Okay, moving on, moving on. Fred, if you could change one thing about Ronnie's attitude towards your vision loss, what would it be? Well, Bob, since I don't think she really understands just how hard it is to lose your vision, I, I think she should have more empathy. You know, uh, more understanding of what I'm going through here. What did I say? Ten points. Buddy, if you could change one thing about Angel's attitude towards your vision loss, what would it be? Huh. Well, she's pretty understanding. Um, one thing. Well, I guess she should be pushier in getting me to try new things. What? You know, uh, I I usually need a, a nudge here and there. Angel, what was your answer? I should be less controlling. That's interesting. Okay, while Buddy ponders the mystery of that last question and answer, let's move on to the second of our ten-point questions. What one thing causes the most friction between you two? Martin? Well, Bob, sad to say, no matter how many times I ask her, she gets all bent out of shape when I ask her to drive. Ten points, Sabrina. Every time I tell him I need a ride, Elliot acts like, like I'm trying to take his lift. <laughs> Sabrina, Sabrina. Your answer, please. Driving. You got that right. Fred? Well, Bob, when she took away my keys, Ronnie promised to take me anywhere I needed to go. But it's become a really big deal, so I'll have to say driving. Remember, Dad, you still need a ride after the show. And I can see there might be some long, uh, awkward, silent rides tonight. 
buddy. What one thing? Driving. Ten points. Okay, checking our big scoreboard before we turn to our 25-point question. Elliot and Sabrina have 20 points, as does Angel and Buddy. Ronnie and Fred have 25 points, and Joan and Martin have the lead with 30 points. Contestants, here is your big 25-point question. If living alone without you were an Olympic event, what medal did your vision loss partner give themselves? Gold, silver, or bronze? Sabrina? Well, if I could get the right tools, resources, and information, I'd give myself a big, fat, gold medal. Gold? Really? Solid gold. Moving on, buddy. Olympic medal, living without her? You got it, buddy. I don't know. Um, silver? Is that your answer? Yes. Yes, it is. Yes, 25 big ones. Angel and Buddy vault into the lead. Fred, what medal did Ronnie say you would give yourself living an independent life without her? Well, Bob, despite my grouchiness, I hope she knows that I'd be totally lost without her. So I'd have to say a pretty tarnished bronze. Oh, Dad. Okay, we move on to Martin. Martin, what medal did Joan say you would give yourself living an independent life without her? Well, hmm, I guess it would be somewhere between silver and gold. But, hmm, I'll say gold. Oh, Martin. What? I said silver. I could see that. Adding up our final scores, Angel and Buddy are our big winners of today. Johnny, please tell them what they've won. It's a deluxe edition of the Pennsylvania Council of the Blinds, just released bestseller, Now What? A Guide to the Friends and Family of People New to Vision Loss. Personally signed by every member of the PCB communication team. So, we have basically four couples. Each couple exhibits a certain uh, dynamic within their relationship. And... um, those dynamics, as we can see, tend to influence um, the person with vision loss um, trip to self-reliance. So who, who wants to talk about uh, Elliot and Sabrina? What was going on there? Anybody? Well, she, <laughs> <clears throat> she certainly had um, her issues with her vision loss, and so did he. <laughs> Yes, he certain, certainly practiced a rather odd kind of tough love, didn't he? Yeah, that's for sure. 
Elliot had absolutely no respect for me or my vision loss or my abilities. Well, you know, you know, if he tried something once in a while, maybe we'd get somewhere. Elliot, I have tried and tried, and I'm trying to get help. But you just, you, you just don't want to see me succeed. I think you like having me home, and you want to take care of me, but I want to take care of myself. Well, you're right. I do want to take care of you, and I don't want to see you get hurt trying something new and dangerous. So, um, well, maybe I'm, I am a little uh, controlling. Let's talk right. about it when we get home. All right. All right. So we can see how Elliot's attitude towards Sabrina has affected her her quest for self reliance. Right. I mean. You know, um, we are definitely influenced by the family and friends and partners that we uh, exist with. As we said, we don't exist in a vacuum. And their assumptions and expectations color their conduct. And then we are locked in that dynamic. And it's, sometimes it's very hard to break out of those dynamics because sometimes they play into uh, the fears and insecurities of each partner. And it's very hard to confront those fears and insecurities in order to break through to a new dynamic. Anybody else out in audience land have any comments? Have, have you ever been involved in a relationship like that or know a friend, quote unquote, who might have uh, experienced that kind of relationship? Well, we, have Joseph, we have Joe Sakura. I think that this can happen in two levels. It it does to me, uh, you know, over, over your lifetime, your siblings can certainly, certainly see your strengths and weaknesses. And it's hard to break out of the mold of both the positive and negative aspects of, of that. Uh, and, uh, you know, when, when, when people think that, you, know, you you have to decide where you live based on what they want you to do and what you've explored. It can be difficult, but when those conflicts subside, when you're set, when I'm settled, then I I think they do recognize some of the uh, abilities that I have, and we have a social relationship. But when when change is going to come, uh, death or whatever. A, a, a dissimmering conflict can come up again just because that issue comes up again. Where do you go and respond to this upcoming change? I hope I didn't confuse anybody, which I probably did. No. I, th- I think you you hit on a key point. You made the change, so it forced relationships to adjust, right? And that can be... Yeah disjointing and uncomfortable and families are notorious right for trying to cram you back into a pigeonhole like you know and sometimes it takes a lot of uh, what they call escape velocity to get out of that pigeonhole yes, uh, I, I, I i'm not in favor of using ar-15s against pigeonholes <laughs> no let's try something a tad less homicidal do we have anybody else with their hand up? Yeah, um, October has her hand raised. I'd just like to say I, I kind of took a nap in a chair or two after supper, but 
having been blind all my life, I've had to face, I've always had to prove to the sighted world, not necessarily just to family, although I had an aunt, well, don't use when you came and you were around me, but I've proved that I can take, be physically active, that I can go to work. And I even had a teacher in school tell me, get the hell out of my classroom because you don't read music the way we do, the sighted people do. And sometimes I just feel like I'm just in the way because we never have, we can never get to the fact that, yeah, we can do things and we always have to prove to the sighted world that we're not mistakes. And I, it just never ends. Yes, and it can be exhausting, right? I mean, um, oh, you're telling how many, me. How many times can we be a role model or a diplomat or a yeah. teacher? Or an ambassador from the dark world, right? I mean, it just gets exhausting. <laughs> and I think it also encourages people with vision loss to um, assume a certain <laughs> performative element to their lives, right? They, they not only have to live their own life inside themselves, but now they're like performing for the the sighted world. And we almost become dancing bears at some time. You know, um, earlier in this conference, people were talking about humor and how, he, you know, you can dispel the um, unease of sighted people around you with humor. Well, you might be selling yourself short, right? You might be highly stressed and you just want to, but you're just like, oh, well, I don't want to offend anybody or, or make them uncomfortable about blind people. So, you know, so we always write, walk this sort of tightrope at times and, uh yeah, do you remember the song, It's Your Thing, Do What You Want to oh. Do? Remember that song? Mm -hmm. Well, growing up with the National Federation of Music Clubs, I had a lot of piano and voice training and a little bit of flute, and I wanted to take dancing and be physically active. And I would have comments like, oh, I have such a beautiful voice. Isn't it wonderful that I can sing and play and I'm blind? And until uh, Eric Weinheimer came along and, and climbed Mount Everest, if you ask most sighted people, do they know a blind person? Except for Helen Keller, they'll say Duke Ellington, Ray Charles, Stevie Wonder, and that's where it stops. All of us who are blind, we sing or play or in an orchestra. And if you can't do that, well, you know, you're nothing. If you don't sing and play and you're blind, Tough luck. Goodbye. We have um, either be musically inclined or forget it. Mm -hmm. Who do we have, Marion? We have hands building up. We have Jonna. Hi. I won't take up too much time. I just wanted to say that I find myself struggling lately with common sense or what I perceive as people's lack thereof. Um, I'm always advocating for what I need. Yes, sorry, I didn't lower my hand. I'm always advocating for what I need, but sometimes I just struggle with that balance of how to educate someone without losing my cool and looking bad for the next guy. You know, it's tough. It can be tough. It really can. Um, the only thing I will say is I was fortunate enough to grow up with grandparents who knew that I was losing my sight and were very, very supportive of finding ways to teach me how to, um, you know, continue to do the things that I could do while losing my vision and knowing that I would lose the rest of it when I was. Since you lost your vision, did, did you go through some of the things that some of these people in our little skits were going through? 
Mm-hmm. Like the pity and the self pity yeah. and the. Oh yeah. How did you? Oh, yeah. How did you get past it? I'm still sometimes not past it. Sometimes I want to smack people when they say, "Oh, I'm <laughs> sorry." And I, you know what? My pat response, though, most of the time is, "Why? I'm not." It's just because you know, mm. really I'm not I, I don't I tell people all the time I don't care that I'm blind it doesn't bother me it, it's never it may have bothered me when I was a teenager but I think maybe that was just I was a teenager but it really today it doesn't bother me I don't care so isn't that the key our own attitude about our blindness isn't that really the key rather than feeling so. like we're performing we're just being ourselves and if we're just being ourselves and ourselves are the best we can be. Isn't that yeah. like really the key? Um, Katie Gresh has her hand raised. I have the same issue. Um, I have like some, some friends, uh, um, some friends and even family members. Um, um, I feel like, I feel like I depend on them, them more, more sometimes. Um, and, um, and I feel like that sometimes, sometimes they understand and sometimes they don't understand. And I try to explain to them as best as I can, but it's sometimes hard to do, do in, in your life. Sure. These, these bring up very, um, big issues and sometimes you just have to pick your battles, right? I mean, yeah. John was saying, you know, oh, do I have to teach this person? Well, maybe it's not a teachable moment. Maybe you just go, well, I'll, you know, I'm, I have to get here or there and I'll just be gentle with myself that I wasn't super, super blind person today. You know, your battles. sometimes mm-hmm. you're tired and sometimes you're scared and sometimes you're, you're, you know, you just don't feel like it and it's okay. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to be super performing blind person all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, the father and daughter team, um, it I talk about needing a resource like what we're offering now. <laughs> I would say they need it because she didn't seem to have any direction and he felt sorry for himself and the whole works. And she seemed frustrated and just not knowing what to do. So it sounds like a perfect uh, scenario for, well, I, for our I'm resource. I, I'm always kind of frustrated with um, with uh, with with one um, with my fam with with my family um, sometimes because sometimes, like I said, sometimes when I'm trying to just get a simple thing thing for like for my medicine and or so or um, or being on or being on time or. or or others, it, it just frustrates frustrate, frustrate me. I feel like they don't understand understand because they're saying you should do this. and I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Ronnie was definitely an, 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 an enabler, right? She did the groceries, mm-hmm. the laundry, the bills, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. That didn't help. Father, and we do have it? a hand raised. Uh, yep, we have okay. um, 215 yes, um, 099. There's Ethel. Oh, this is Ethel Siegel. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll try to be fast. One of them is um, 
if I make a mistake or if I would cry about something or say something, they would get extra angry. Mm-hmm. That's so and my family, when discussing me, they discuss me or some other people in sad terms. And some other people, like, they act like my, bro- my brothers are saints and, um, or, you know, boy, it must have been hard having her. And they sort of say that, but I do feel annoyed that, um, I mean, or like I feel, I do have a right to feel annoyed. I, no, I don't mean ashamed, but I think we do have a right to feel annoyed about uh, different things we face at different times. But if I make a mistake, if I spilled something, you spilled that, and they get, uh, why did you, why did you do that? Uh, you know, or if I got a bad grade in something, they got upset with me. I don't mean to say I have a happy life, but they they said, you know, those things. I guess they are common. Yeah, it can be tough. And this this points out that that we have to be our own best advocates, even in our homes, right? Uh, It's not just with the world and the doctor's office or, you know, the bus station, but dealing with our families and the the, the dynamics that exist there, you know, you know, how many people have gone away to like a rehabilitation school, learned all these skills, come home, and the family just shunts them back into their old lumpy self, you know, and they lose all their skills and their energy and their enthusiasm. So that's why we developed the Now What document, too, as, you know, all these couples could probably benefit from the Now What document. Well, right. Nikki, I found it interesting that... <clears throat> All of these couples, when they were asked about the friction thing, driving was the big thing. And I, I wonder if, I mean, I wonder if that is a big deal for sighted people, because I've experienced that a lot uh, where I felt guilty asking sighted people to help me out with driving me somewhere. But then I've lately, it's been really weird for me because my mom pushed for us to move back up here and I, uh, you know, did because my dad died and I felt like I wanted to be closer to her. And she never bats an eyelash if I ask her to take me somewhere. And I've offered her money and she takes it. But she said, I would never ask you for it. You're my daughter. Today, I asked her if she would drive my husband 50 miles to Lancaster. She didn't bat an eyelash. And I don't think that it's always a big deal. But it was funny that it was it was to that you guys brought it up as a big deal. And I just wonder if that's your experience or whether it's not always the norm. Well, we included it because we've heard many people um, say that this is the one big thing yeah. that even though a sighted person will engage, start a relationship with a person with vision loss. And, oh yeah, I understand. And, you know, I, I do the driving at some point it becomes a point of friction. And like you said, you felt guilty about asking certain people. Well, you know, that didn't happen in a vacuum, you know? Yeah. What happens I mean, is... It, I keep it waiting for that work. last shoe to drop with my mom, and it hasn't so far. <laughs> well, great. And maybe You're it won't, blessed. because she knows me for 51 years. But, right. yeah, I, it's all a big deal. It, it is a big deal, and yet it's funny when it's not, you know, mm-hmm. for some people. Hey, Carla? 
Yes. Uh, this was a great production, by the way. I love the sound effects and everything. Everybody ought to be complimented. But I was going to uh, piggyback on the driving thing. It's funny that Nikki brought it up because that's what I wanted to talk about. And to me, that is the one aspect of blindness. And I've been blind all my life. It's not a matter of vision loss. I am blind and been blind. But that's the one most difficult aspect of life for for me. Um, and I'll tell you something. I don't think sighted people or a lot of sighted people get it. I really don't. I had a a discussion with my brother, um, and, and it's an ongoing discussion, actually, my sighted brother. And I said to him one day, I said, you know, I can, I can take all this being blind, but the driving is a big thing. And Tom is like, well, I wish I didn't have to drive. You have to pay for the automobile insurance and the automobile and this and that. And I, I don't want to drive. There's so many kooks out on the road. I said, okay, Tom. I said, and he says, and I'm lucky that I don't have to drive and don't have to worry about. I said, okay, Tom, I'm going to give you a challenge for a month. Put your car in the garage and don't take it out just take public transportation or rides that people get you and you know and, and then tell me if you still feel that way oh i can't do that no i you still no i can't do that. i said okay tom how about a week no i can't do that how about a day he won't do it a day and i said tom i rest my case <laughs> so sometimes they just don't get it because driving is it's a game breaker sometimes there are ways around it but Aren't there times that you just want to go somewhere when you want to go somewhere and you don't want to have to rely on somebody and it's somewhere that transportation won't take you or somewhere that you don't have, you don't have to call shared ride and you have to do it before 12 o'clock and you do it at 1201 the day before and oh, we're sorry, you're late. You can't have a ride. Um, I mean, sometimes that gets old too, but otherwise I'm pretty adjusted, I'd say, as a blind person living alone. But, but thank you so much for this skit. This was a great way to, to bring this discussion to light. Kathy Gerhardt has her hand raised. Well, I just had to chime in on this driving thing because <laughs> I drove till I was 40 something or other. Um, and then I, got uh, early macular degeneration but I think you I always feel that sense of guilt except for my late husband he really never seemed to mind so there are people out there like Nikki's mom who really are fine with uh, doing doing it for you but close people but even um even my sister and i own part of the car but you know she's stuck driving it and i just try to do everything i can to eliminate uh having to ask her or having to ask other people and there i know there's some people out there that would love to help but i i'm just uh stuck in that mode of feeling um guilty there's which is ridiculous <laughs> you know um because just because maybe more so than somebody that never drove but it is a pain in the you know what and now that i i moved into a um a city where they have uber and 
lift and that's good, but it's expensive. And our bus system, our paratransit is good, but you, you have to dial up at 7 a.m. a week in advance to get it. So there's, you know, a lot of struggles no matter where you live, but um, you almost have to, to live your life around public transportation to some extent. Well, the now what document does cover driving, and I think it, it it can serve as a sort of neutral meeting place where you know the sighted people can sit down with the person with vision loss and have a um, a sane discussion, you know, about these issues. Um, you know, we're trying to you know identify some issues and then maybe some solutions, and you know, obviously now what is it? But also self advocacy, you know, and. We've heard several people talk about the guilt of asking sighted people to do things. And, you know, that's something that we as individuals have to overcome, you know, um, practice, I guess, um, you know, put up with their resistance and their sighs and groans and moans. And, you know, and, you know, as Carla was trying to make a point to her brother, you know, hey, you know, this is something I cannot do, and this is something I need. Um, anybody else with their hand up, Mary? Yes. Um, Don? Don? I also, you know, do have some issues with my own family as well, and particularly one of my brothers. He always has this attitude of, um, you know, well, you have to be better than everybody because, you know, you're blind, and, you know, so I'm like, he'll complain when I, if I, you know, clean something and I, you know, miss it the first time around, they have to go back and get it a second time. Uh, and I've had friends do this too. And they'll say, well, that's not how it's supposed to, you're supposed to get it right the first time. You have to be perfect. You have to, you know, you have to be better than everybody and because you're blind. And this is why people don't want you where you live. This is why you're going to get thrown out of your home and all these things that they like to say, or even with growing up with my brother, he would uh, get upset. If I bumped something, he'd grip me up and punch me and we'd have some good, battles over it so i mean you know these are just things now most of my family does understand and you know it's more reasonable but uh, he certainly is not and it makes it tough sometimes to even want to have that kind of relationship and sometimes i'm glad he lives far away but uh, just yet more stuff that we sometimes deal with that people just don't understand that yeah we're not going to be perfect and uh, maybe not perfect the first time but we'll get it if it takes two or three times to find that one spot, you know. Yeah. Um, Sorry, it just seems like our experience is that the rehab um, industry does a pretty lousy job of integrating the family into the rehab uh, process, you know. Come over yeah. to this rehabilitation center for six months, remake yourself, and then we just send you off toddling back to the same social dynamics that you that were existing when you, you know, so it's somehow. I was fortunate. I was also fortunate growing up that my mom, I think knew that she was going to pass. And so she started, you know, letting me do stuff that I was learning at Overbrook school for the blind. Uh, you know, all the different skills I was learning there. She was allowing mm -hmm. me to do that. And eventually I had to do that to take care of her as she was on her deathbed after my father had passed. So I had to take care of her at home and myself. So yes, I had to grow up very quick. But, uh, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. uh, Jonna, 
So I just wanted to share very quickly that I was married to um, a sighted individual uh, for 14 years. And um, even in the relationship, you 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 think one thing but it's really another like he knew that I was blind he knew but add in two young children as well um, that were not his and that changes not only what he had to do for me but then but in turn what he had to help me with my children so to speak you know so you do run across a lot of um, issues um, when you are in a mixed vision relationship. And possibly couples counseling can help. I, I don't, you know, I don't know if you can find counselors that are, are experienced with this dynamic, but you know, the the basic patterns I would imagine are replicated in other um, couples um, situations. Do we have anybody hand up, Marianne? Can I make a quick sort of off-topic comment, but it's relevant to the discussion or at least to the play itself? I just wanted to say that um, the three folks that played the character actors were truly amazing because Will did those characters and kept the voices straight. He didn't mess them up once. And Marianne and Sue and Will, all three of them, sent their lines to me. They did not meet to do this. This was all remote, and I pieced it together. And their voices and their character acting was just so good that you couldn't tell that. So hats off to you guys. And to you for putting it together, Doug. Indeed. Chris has her hand. Chris, Chris has her hand raised. She's had it up and down a few times. Yeah, Yeah. I just wanted to say that. As you pointed out, uh, none of us live in a vacuum, and we don't even have a clue as to the insecurities of those sighted people that are abusing us, so to speak. Um, and, you know, unfortunately, all of us live in, in places where we have insecurities or whatever, and we don't know how they're going to affect other people. Um, but since we are so much more, oh, I, I don't want to say dependent on other people, but we do count on them to some degree. And for instance, Nikki talking about her mom, her mom has such a strong love for her that she would never think she would never think that she's uh, that she shouldn't do for her daughter. I grew up in a neighborhood that was a very Catholic neighborhood where my mother got told, I can't tell you how often. You shall. You will definitely have a star in heaven for taking care of your daughter. And the other thing is, I had a fairly high partial for a boyfriend for a fair amount of time, and he got so much on my nerves when I was wanting to to do something that he didn't want me to do, and I would just go do it. And I said, "Well, you just have a Jesus complex, and you just don't want. You just want to be the." the be all and end all. And I just don't need that. And that was the end of that relationship. But, you know, we all live with strange pieces to our lives that it it doesn't really necessarily have to do with our vision, but it does affect how we, how our relationships work. Yes, we are not our vision, but as you say, it does affect. Mm -hmm. uh, Lynn Shields has her hand raised. She has not had an opportunity to speak. Yes, good uh, Good evening. I just wanted to add just a, 
short story here. I used to sell adaptive equipment in a low vision store in North Carolina. So I would see people who were at the very beginning of their vision loss. And then I would see people who had been to see a very um, well-known low vision specialist at Duke University. And so I, I saw the whole gamut of, of in you know, from top to bottom, really. But I think the thing that amazed me the most, um, the adult children would bring in their parents and they would say, oh, whatever mom or dad needs, we'll get it, whatever helps, until it came to the price. <laughs> um, I had people... I had a lady that was 101, and she fell in love with the CCTV. She was reading. She was crying. She was so happy. And her son stood there and said, you don't need this. You're spending my inheritance. (laughs) And I literally, that happened several times. And that literally, I about fell on the floor. But there was nothing that I could do other than say, I'm sorry, I wasn't I couldn't interfere, but it, it broke my heart. And that's something that we really don't even think about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we don't want, we, we didn't want to focus on the negative, but um, just reality. And I think the one takeaway is that uh, self-reliance begins at home and begins with self-advocacy. And, you know, um, if you can arm yourself with the tools and resources and information and people, um, obviously, if your family's not providing any outlets for that, you can reach out to PCB or other organizations for resources, inform yourself, make yourself stronger, um, and develop your own skill sets. And I would always encourage. say to people, I'm sorry, I would always no, say to people, um, you're going to be your own best friend or you're going to be your own worst enemy. There you go. Thank you. Thank you. I would just like to thank everybody who participated. Um, you contributed mightily to this endeavor. And I think you brought out wonderful insights. Not just thank you for attending. And once again, I'd like to thank the team of Doug, Ed, Rose, Sue, and Chris. And uh, yes, Doug, that was an amazing technological uh, editing job. It's 8 p.m., and I'll turn it over to our next presenter. It's Chris, and I'm the MC, but I'm also the advocacy update person with Don Dunn. Uh, Don is a uh, a member of uh, PRC. He's a, a, an assistant scoutmaster in his neighborhood scout troop. He is the president of the Alumni Association of Overbrook, and he's an active member of uh, PCB's board and is working on the advocacy team. Um, he and I are going to present some information about um, legislation Unfortunately, we could only get one legislator to come to talk to us. So what we really want to do is we want you, after we finish our part of this presentation, to tell us something about things that you have done or actions that you have taken that talking to legislators caused things to happen. 
and they could be federal legislators, they could be state legislators, they could be your local city council, um, any of those people. So just be thinking about how you have been working, how you have had action and, and activities that have actually uh, made some kind of change um, for you because you were in touch with the legislator. I do want to talk about the legislator that we got. It happens to be my very own local legislator. Um, she is uh, Jessica Benham, and she is a new state legislator. My district is 36 in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, Jessica is uh, someone who's on the autism spectrum and is, uh, before she came to the legislature, she was key in creating an autism group for autistic people by autistic people. She was also someone who uh, shepherded a law through the state legislature that said, you can't deny somebody a transplant just because of his disability. And she has fought for the rights of disabled people um, in the two years she's been in the legislature. And I certainly hope she stays there. She has done work in the legislature in these first two years of her being there, pushing for help for people with disabilities. And as you'll see in her speech that she recorded for us, um, there is she has a strong interest in our issues. So um, if you can play Jessica's piece, Doug, I would appreciate it. Hi, my name is State Representative Jessica Benham. I represent the 36th Legislative District in PA's State House and am currently finishing my first term. The 36th District includes Brentwood Borough, Mount Oliver Borough, half of the Southside Flats, the Southside Slopes, Arlington, Arlington Heights, Bonaire, Mount Oliver City, St. Clair, Carrick, Overbrook, Brookline, and Beachview. I am autistic and I have Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome, which impacts connected tissue throughout the body. As a member of the disability community, accessibility, inclusion, and justice for people with disabilities is important to me for personal as well as societal reasons. Many people don't realize everything that their state elected officials can help with. This will vary from office to office, so it's always best to call your state representative or senator's office ahead of time to find out specifically what your own elected official offers. But in my office, for municipal, county, or federal issues, we can provide a referral to the correct elected official or department. And for state issues, we can provide much more hands-on assistance on a variety of issues which might include, for example, car registrations, special tags, titles, and some license applications, unemployment compensation problems, birth certificate applications, PA income tax problems, um, problems with the Department of Human Services. Though for some DHS issues, if the program's county administered, we may have to refer to the appropriate county department. Other things we can handle directly on the state level. We can also help with utility complaints, some complaints about state roads, problems or questions about PennDOT, disability plates and placards, PACE cards for senior citizens, property tax, rent rebate applications, problems or questions. If there are other things that are related to state government, we can definitely do our best to help with those too. We also have free basic notary services in my office. Again, I do recommend that you check with your state representative or senator's office ahead of time to check on what they specifically offer 
as services are going to vary from elected official to elected official. In the state legislature, there are a number of things that have been recently passed that specifically impact disabled people, including an expansion to medical assistance for workers with disabilities program and significant increases to disability-related line items in the state's budget in this fiscal year. But from my perspective, not enough is being done to make our government services more accessible. And not enough is being done to ensure that state government equitably includes and elevates the perspectives of people with disabilities. One of the solutions that my colleague Rep. Dan Miller and I have proposed is a piece of legislation that would create a Department of Accessibility and Inclusion, led by a secretary who would be in the governor's cabinet, which would centralize most disability-related services and elevate the perspectives of people with disabilities to the cabinet level. This is critically important when we're talking about making sure that the perspectives, needs, and desires of people with disabilities are elevated and understood in state government. There's also HB 2182, which would require state and local governments to make digital content accessible to people with disabilities. There's currently a requirement in state law that digital content that falls under the umbrella of the governor's office is uh, held to certain accessibility standards. But this bill would broaden that, enshrine it in state law, and also ensure that local governments were included in that. Rep. Dan Miller is also currently working on, but hasn't yet introduced, a bill that would fund a statewide SSP program for deafblind individuals. And there are countless other pieces of legislation that would improve access to education, employment, and all other areas of life for people with disabilities. One of the things that's important to me is to continue to advocate and fight to make sure that these pieces of legislation actually get a vote. Unfortunately, even when a piece of legislation is bipartisan, that doesn't necessarily mean that the committee chair or the majority leader or the speaker will actually give that bill a vote in committee or on the House floor. And so that's something that we're constantly working on every day, making sure that these pieces of legislation eventually have their day to be voted on. You can help us there, of course, by reaching out to your state representative and state senator and ensuring that they know that disability issues are important to you and that they really understand what it is that we're fighting for. So thank you for taking the time to listen to me today. I'm glad that we are all able to advocate together and fight together for improvements in our government to the supports and services offered to disabled people. I look forward to meeting more of you and working together to ensure our Commonwealth is accessible, inclusive, welcoming, and just for all. And all I can say is thank you, Representative Ben. Um, I can't stress enough what she said about, uh, you know, reaching out to your own legislator and uh, encouraging passage of things that mean the most to all of us. We all need to do that because it's the only way things get done. The more people who do it, the better your chances. Now, the long way around finding information about your local representative is to go to the web at at pa.gov. And at the bottom, there are all the web pages, uh, all the links to all the different bureaus and 
legislature, et cetera. And there are links to the Senate and the House. And once you open any of those, then there's the chance that you can go to. And I don't mean the chance like maybe you'll be lucky. I mean, you have the choice to go to any number of um, of places to sort representatives by zip code, to sort them by name, et cetera, et cetera. And once you find your representative, uh, then you can get the address and the phone number and call the office. And you can choose whether you want to use the Harrisburg office or the local office in your area. Um, and you can see what committee assignments they have, et cetera. Now, a faster way to do this is to go to call your library, your local library, <clears throat> and ask for information about who your legislator is if you don't want to wander through the Internet. Um, or it's possible that the A-Lady might be able to tell you. I haven't tried that because I, I don't talk to my A-Lady very much. Um, but I suspect that, um, that that might be a possibility. Um, so... Um, you know, those are those are ways that you can get in touch with your legislator. And you also could use your local library, too, to find out information, even in your local municipality, as far as uh, how to get, reach out to different departments for different things, who you call about different things. Even finding out if, you know, you want an accessible pedestrian light signal, uh, it's a good place to go to see if that corner is state run or is it, you know, governed by your local municipality. So those are great. Another, that's another great resource for your local library to go to to get information like that. Another thing I want to point out is if you do get in touch with your rep's office, it's always good to get on their newsletter list. Um, and whether you get that newsletter via email or you get a printed one, um, if you get a printed one, you may have to have someone read it to you, but um, certainly, if you get on their email list, there's tons of information that they have. And um, as uh, Rep. Benham said, um, you know, her office does all kinds of things. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was looking at her list and she said, oh, we're having a, sh a shredding event at such and such a place. And then another time I was looking and it was, oh, we're having a drug disposal um, event at another place. And, you know, there are all kinds of things like that that you can get in touch with your reps about. So, uh, the, and then of course you can go to the federal level of, uh, of, of all this kind of stuff by going to the uh, federal legislature websites of house.gov and senate.gov to get information about who your rep is and who your senator is. And right now we're not sure who our next senator from Pennsylvania will be. Um, but we do know that Bob Casey is, and he has been a champion for us, as witnessed by mm -hmm. Julianne being um, uh, asked to present at his aging committee's uh, hearing about um, accessibility of websites. And so we know that we have a friend in Senator Casey. He can't always get as much done as he would like to, but nevertheless, he is someone who's on our side. So, Don, what else? And then, um, oh, and also, I would like to also recommend if your representative also does town halls, try to attend them, whether they're virtual or in person. I would attend them so you get to know these people. Um, and also, when you're looking for um, your, you know, 
federal representative, one thing that might happen, I found this out recently, is you know, might ask for your zip code. Well, then your zip code may have a couple different people. So then they'll ask you for your address. And once you give whatever information, you'll then be able to find out who your representative, uh, representative is and how you can either email them, call them, or write to them. So, you know, those are definitely things to do. You also go to vote.gov. I think it's vote.pa.gov. Right uh, yeah, vote yeah. So that's another website you can go to, um, to, you know, you know, check the status of your uh, registration. Although right now you wouldn't be able to register to vote. Um, you know, you would be able to register to vote there. Um, so, and then you could be able to request accessible ballots. Um, and that's something we're still trying to fight for even better accessible ballots. But, uh, you know, we just, we're even, you know, at home ballots, which somebody, you know, would have to help you fill out. But that's another resource. Uh, and, you know, this might sound like uh, advocacy stuff, but we're all supposed to advocate. Uh, and as it was said yesterday, uh, you know, don't expect and wait that's, that's think that somebody else is going to do it for you or, you know, you got to do it as well. We all have to. Uh, so I'm preaching to myself as well as everybody else when I say this. So I don't, uh, you know, think I'm preaching to just you. I'm preaching to myself too. That, that is something we all have to do because uh, there was a time I probably would have felt the same way as a very much younger me, just graduating school and things like that. Before I learned about these great organizations like PCB and PRC and who have really gotten me more active and more involved with issues. Uh, that's certainly on a local level for PRC. I. I'm our transportation person. So I'm bringing all the needs of SEPTA to these meetings that we have. And that's the other thing. If you can get on these various mailing lists and be part of these various, uh, you know, meetings that your local transit authority might have uh, for, you know, you know, listening to what their updates are, as well as bringing any issues and concerns you have, because that's what I do for our chapter. And, uh, I also bring those updates that they give us to our chapters. So these are all just ways that we all can do things to, you know, advocate for ourselves because we are our best advocates and you know what your needs are going to be and what needs are in your neighborhood even, uh, you know, so if you find a bad sidewalk or you find an accessible light pedestrian signal that would, um, that either had worked and now isn't or, you know, or one where you would like to have one. Look up those resources to find the right the place to go and advocate. Uh, don't expect that others are going to do it for you. I mean, yes, our team is hard at work doing things, but we also need everybody's participation and everybody's help to do this and make this happen. Because the more, like I said, the more of us that do it, the better chances. If you look at what's happened with the web accessibility issue, uh, you know, at least two bills have gone into play with the Senate and the House of Representatives. Not that anything will probably happen this year and they'll probably have to be reintroduced, but because many of us urged our senators, our representatives to, you know, co-sign, uh, you know, this has at least come to light in some kind of way. So just something to think about as, you know, we continue on and as the upcoming year happens and maybe these things get, have to be reintroduced, keep reaching out to these people. And encouraging and, and, you know, speaking up for your issues, because only, you know, what issues apply to you in your local area. We know what applies on a 
national level, but and even state level that we're trying to work on, but we still need everybody else's help. Well, you know, one of the things I can definitely say is I was told by my uh, local state and my local federal rep, um, Mr. Doyle, that, you know, sometimes it's a long slog as you want a piece of legislation to be passed. And it could go through several sessions before somebody finally gets it finally gets enough momentum to go through. Um, and that may be where, say, Dan Miller's bill that that um, Rep. Benham mentioned, um, the Secretary of Accessibility and Inclusion or Inclusion and Accessibility or whatever it is, whichever way those those words go, um, that bill, I, I'm sure it's going to have to be re- reintroduced, but it's currently House Bill 547. Um, and, of course, uh, Rep. Miller also had introduced a um, a bill several times in the past um, having to do with accessible uh, drug labeling. Mm-hmm. And he was wanting all all pharmacies to be required to do that. And he was wanting stories from people to um, to explain, you know, the kinds of issues that can occur. And as many times as he's put that bill before the legislature, and I think it's probably at least two sessions and possibly three, um, it hasn't it hasn't made it through. And we know that he is a great friend of the SSP program, um, that he has been concerned about that program and getting it funding, um, you know, for as long as I've known about the SSP program. And although this sounds like advocacy, it's part of the self-reliance piece, um, too, because when you have the confidence to say, this is what I need and this is what I want. And I can present a reason to you for why it's necessary. Um, then it's, it's not just advocacy, but it's also making you a more self-reliant and independent person. If you can verbalize what is important uh, and why. And, I have and that's a- the other thing. When you're writing these things, make sure you give examples. Or even if you're calling, give examples. Sorry, Chris. That's okay. One thing I was going to say is, you know, nationally, whenever Tony Stevens was being very active in ACB, he was always saying stories are important. And they are because people don't realize um, how things can affect an individual until they hear a story of a real person. And maybe they see that person's face and they go, how could that have happened? Um, and and that's why stories are so important, and that's why legislators always look for them um, to to bolster their reasons for passing a bill. Um, I had a couple of other small things that I wanted to uh, mention to you, and and this really doesn't have to do with legislature, but you know you can go to three one one. And in different parts of the state, um, different organizations sort of man those numbers. Um, and there's a statewide way to look at 311 on the Internet as well. And um, But nevertheless, you can go there and ask all kinds of questions about any number of, um, of um, topics. And if they don't think that's their, it's their topic, they'll certainly refer you somewhere else. But um, they're there to answer people's questions about government, about um 
about services, about resources, et cetera. And it could very well be a meaningful place to go when you're looking for something. And I, I think, you know, as, as I mentioned with libraries, one of the reasons I mentioned them is, hey, if you pay taxes, you buy that library. And, and so therefore, that's why I say you, you can never underestimate the value that a library has for um, people. Um, and if, if there's anyone who knows how to look something up, it's a librarian, right? So that's why I suggested that. So having us said that, are there questions before we go to examples? Are there questions that people might have? I might add, unless someone else can do it better, I could not make my Echo device tell me my state legislator at all. So it didn't work well. Okay. Well, I'm glad you Thank tried. you for trying. <laughs> I, I put my zip code in, and at one point it said I was uh, represented by someone in California. So <laughs> That's because they saw Pittsburgh, and they thought it had no H. <laughs> Cynthia Pratt has her hand raised. I'm not sure if I'm doing it correctly also because I'm listening to you guys. And by the way, that is a great presentation. It's a lot to know, especially Mm -hmm. for me only being four years and a a little over four years in Pennsylvania. So I'm learning a lot, but I never got into government and stuff like that. But I noticed that a lot of issues that you guys brought up, I see in my own neighborhood and I'm I'm taking notes best I can. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Cynthia. Um, let's hear some stories of people who've had some success stories with their legislators, be they federal or state or even local city council stories. Or Chris, county. may I start? Sure. Back in 2016, um, when it was um, assured that um, voting machines had to be updated and um, actually private, and um, they had to be done so by 2020. This, um, our local council went to our commissioners. Well, we went to the um, supervisor of elections, but that's um, she. All we could do is talk to her to get her to talk to the commissioners. And um, she was very pro accessibility. And she did went to the commissioners and it was a fight. So we, um, a bunch of us, I'd say four or five of us from our um, council of 15 at that point. So about a third of us went and um, spoke at a public hearing and um, gave them all the reasons why we thought that the machines needed to be updated. The primary one being that the the ones being used, although accessible, were not private in so much as once you voted, um, the the um Machines count, um, tabulated your vote as a person with a disability. So in that, in that, the vote was not private. Um, and it, and again, it was a fight. There were actually, there was actually another visually impaired woman there who spoke against the measure of, of getting, um, good voting machines in. But ultimately we were successful. Um, the, um, then, um, chief commissioner, um, president of the commissioners, um, was a, was really a good friend to the blindness community. And he said, right there, he said, okay, let's do it. And so we had our um, good voting machines in for the 16th, the 2016 election and um, were able to vote privately. 
because of the advocacy we do with our local commissioners. That's a great story. Yeah, we have this four years in advance of the deadline, so we were pretty proud of that. So does anyone else have a story? Let's see what says her Henry's. Donna Williams. Okay. So back in 2015, uh, SEPTA embarked on a major project in our area, which affected my street and pretty much this neighborhood that I live in. And we had an issue where they decided to have a meeting at night after they blocked off the road so that we, you know, and of course being visually impaired, I'm not going to walk up to the Barrow Hall where they're having this meeting, not when they have fences up and cones and they have torn up trolley tracks and all kinds of stuff. Um, A friend of mine reached out to our state representative and he was told, well, we'll, we'll bring your concerns to SEPTA and we'll find out what we can. And then we'll come, we'll get back to you about it and we'll, we'll keep you informed to me. That wasn't good enough. So what I did, I organized all the visually impaired people in this neighborhood that were interested. I called people. I said, look, we need to get together. We need to be at that meeting and we need to say how this is impacting us and we need to find a way and we need to make sure that this representative knows that. Well, I called him back. I was very nice to him. And when I explained the the whole situation and when I told him how many people we had, he's like, I need to call you back. Well, 20 minutes later, he called me back and I was talking directly to him, not an office worker. Now I was talking to him and he said, we can't get you to the meeting that, you know, that night that it was going to be. But he said, we are going to set up a time with you and with the representative from SEPTA, and we are going to have a meeting. And I will be there with this representative. So I went and told everybody, and sure enough, they called me back. We set up the meeting. And from then on, we were in the loop. We we had access to our representative. And he told us if there's any problem with what they tell you they're doing or not doing to accommodate you, you need to let me know because I will be right on it. So that's my story. Good for all. Thank you. And yeah, you have to, you definitely have to keep on top of SEPTA with things. Uh, And I know when they were working on a big project over the next 12 years, and one of the things I brought up is well, will this include accessible pedestrian signals? Uh, you know, and they said, yes, you know, it will involve that. We'll be working with the local municipalities. And I said, good, because I'm going to hold you to it now. So if it doesn't happen, you will hear from me. So, yeah, you got to keep on top of SEPTA, that's for sure. So thank you for doing that. 
So yeah, what? we couldn't we could not walk around. We could not people had to drive crazy in crazy places to be able to pick us up. And we needed hmm. some of that resolved. I mean, there there was no way. We couldn't do anything. So you know, luckily for us, we you know, we were able to and that you know, we obviously had to advocate in order to make sure that we got what we needed. Does anybody know? Um, I, I didn't look at the um, the settlement, but the disability rights advocates people, and I guess it was Liberty Resources was fighting over curb cuts in Philadelphia, and they apparently the lawsuit has been settled. I haven't looked at the settlement to see um, how long a period of time the city had to get the cross the uh, curb cuts and crosswalks um, worked on. But now the disability rights advocates um, has to some degree, resolve that one. Maybe they'll help us with the uh, lead pedestrian interval signal issue with accessible pedestrian signals. So um, we're waiting to hear from them about that one. So does anybody know anything about that Philadelphia lawsuit that Liberty Resources was involved in? I saw something somewhere. I I would have to try to look to see where I put that information because I Oh, I know I have it. I just wondered if anybody had read it. Nobody here has responded to that. All right. Any other stories? October has her hand raised. Something happened when I was living in South Florida. I'm not originally from here. And I was going to school. And when I wanted to get my books in Braille, I was told, well, everything is on tape. And if you can't learn by audio means, well, you can just quit school. You can just drop out. And I think books are fine for if a guide posts some poetry and you want to listen to Walt Whitman or something. But if you have never had sight like me, you have no visual concept of what cones look like unless you put your hand on one. And if you can't physically see something, you can't listen to math or science if you have no visual concept of what things are. So I wrote to, at that time when Carter was in president, was our president, I wrote to his wife, first lady, to get my biology textbook in Braille so I could pass my classes, and I got it. And then another thing happened when I was in Daytona. They had a rehab center for the blind. I went to a place that was supposed to be three guys and three girls. It turned out to be three guys and one girl, me. And we were supposed to go to a movie, Mr. Mom. And instead, we went to something called Cypress Park, and I had two cream de mints and some orange juice. And the next thing I knew, somebody was pulling leaves out of my hair, and I had no idea what had happened to me. And they thought I might have been attacked, and they weren't sure. And my mother said, well, don't say anything. I said, what do you mean don't say anything? So I wrote to Senator Paula Hawkins at the time to make sure, and I hope they still do, that if you are blind or visually impaired and you want to go to a rehab center, they screen you, they test you out to make sure that you are not into drugs and that you do not have a history of sexual assault or that you've hurt someone. If you have, guess what? You don't go to rehab, period. You don't go. I'm pretty sure that is law because I know even as a scout leader, uh, I am required to even have background checks to, um, you know, volunteer with the kids even. Uh, so I know, and even when I do some work with the Overbrook School for the Blind alumni, when we go up and meet with students, 
I have to have background checks to be able to do that. So I'm pretty sure it's the law that they have to, even on the, you know, when they run places like that. And it should be. I have a question before I unmute. Somebody said something about a number 311. Is that something you can dial on the telephone or is that a computer number or what? No, it's you want information 311? Yes. What is 311. Thank you. I never knew there was such a thing. Joe has his hand raised. Joe Sakura. Well, usually the three one one is is used so that to separate the emergency services from the non emergency services. Right. I must have accidentally said three when I meant two. Nine one one was emergency. It is. I thought non emergency is three one one. In right, but areas. a lot of places you a lot of places they didn't have the the three one one, so emergency got calls for all sorts of things. Um, and I will try to look up that Liberty Resources thing after we we're finished tonight and see what I can find if they put something on their website too. So it is two one one. Yes, it is two one one. Okay, thank you. I can tell you one thing that I did, and this is really odd. Um, back in 2020, when I knew that Pennsylvania was getting accessible vote by mail ballots, I kept looking at the PA voting website, and I could only find this was after the May primary, so I could only find the information about the court um, ruling that NFB forced the state to do something different from what they were going to do in November. And I couldn't find the current accessible ballot. And I knew it was out there. So there happened to be a legislator, legislator's office that was having a town hall meeting. And for some reason, I went to it. It wasn't my state legislator. But I asked the question about the, the new accessible ballot that was the Democracy Live ballot, because I knew that I should be able to find it. And a lady from that legislator's office called me back and she said, here's where you have to go on the website. Well, it wouldn't have been anything I would have known to search for. It was like accessible something, something, something. But it wasn't like, I, I don't know. It wasn't even accessible. It was something really weird. And she, and I said, I never would have found that one. And she said, yeah, I understand that. That's why I called you and told you. Um, but then I got to vote that way in no, in November of 2020. So I didn't have to ask a sighted person to uh, fill out my ballot. And I think I was one of a very few people who actually got to that website and got that voting done for that reason that way. Now, I did have to have somebody help me um, get my envelope outside of my envelope signed so that I knew that uh, it had worked. But I, I printed my ballot, I put it in and mailed it. But I got help from a legislator's office who wasn't my legislator. So I thought that was pretty good. I don't think I have anything more, but you know what? This morning, we never got to the shout outs um, that came in after the program actually was um, after the program was actually uh, printed for people. So I thought maybe I'd 
tell people who they were. Pam Shaw wrote to the Philadelphia PRC, thank you for being my friends. And Marianne wrote, we, your peers, support your trip to self-reliance. Enjoy your journey. And Nathan Ruggles wrote, let's fight together for quality and quantity in audio description, both quality and quantity um, in video and uh, live performances in video. And Marty Kuhn wrote, Kay and I are married for two years. And Mike Gravett wrote, thank you for all who organized the conference. And Donna Brown, who may or may not be here tonight, but she certainly registered for the conference, said, way to go, PCB. And she's really a Pennsylvania person, even though she lives in West Virginia now. So those were the those were the shout outs that came in after the program sort of like uh, went to went to uh, Braille and uh, and and was sent out at, at like the 10th of October or whatever. So. That's all I have. 